the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. More telling comments in the abortion conversation, and then a $1 million jewelry heist in a church? You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to the Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today on this Tuesday afternoon. I know. I was just thinking, what day is it? It is Tuesday afternoon, Brian. The whole day. It's Tuesday afternoon. We are glad that you're with us. I have vacation coming up this week. I'm so excited about that. You just said I'm in a good mood. We and I were just talking. That's why. Because you're going on vacation. That makes right. sense. Because I was like, I wonder what happened to Brian this morning. Did he like win the lottery or did he get his iced tea or extra well, donuts? I... But it's because you're going on vacation. Did I win the lottery? No. Did I get an iced tea? <laughs> yes, Multiple. Obviously. He uh, has one right now, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I always have one. Um, but we are glad that you're with us today. How are you today? So I have to, we just established I'm in a good Thank mood. Thank you for finally you? asking, Brian. How am I? You know, remember how yesterday I was like, I've had no post-vacation blues. I'm totally fine. I'm ready to come back. I think I'm feeling it a little bit today. I've had to do laundry and catch up on email and get all the meetings and back to school appointments. And I'm a little like wishing I was still on vacation. But I'm, I get it. I'm fine in general. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. It's sort of a privileged thing to complain about no longer being on vacation, isn't it? (laughs) I just can't be on vacation uh, for a second week. Right, right. uh, Anyway, we are glad that you're joining us today. If you've missed any of the shows... Uh, we would this past week or last week when Steve Koble was with me. Let me encourage you to go get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Aubrey, I have, I have a little story. Let, let me just tease a story that's coming oh, up later. Okay. There was a $1 million jewelry heist in a church. <laughs> Wait, what? You heard me correctly. What? I'm going to tell you that story in a little bit. I and love we're gonna... heist stories, by the way, but I don't know if I'm going to love it in a church. And the $1 million worth of jewelry came from only the pastor and his wife. Excuse me? Hold oh, on. This, I, this is going to be exciting. We are going this to get there. But exciting. I want to start where we've been a lot of the times <clears throat> over the past couple of weeks, and that's the debate around abortion. Okay? Um. Do you feel like this is calming down at all or it feels still fever pitched at the moment? So, I, you know, I saw I opened up my news app this morning and there were several articles about the debate. And I did for a second think, I wonder how long it will be until this is not at the like the top of the news cycle. But certainly it is not it is not dying down yet no. it, it, and may not for a while, frankly, until uh, states fall into place and decisions fall into place. And but, uh, anyway, yeah, it, it is not it is not dying down. And what I would I actually had an interesting conversation with a friend at lunch today and we were talking about just kind of the streams of culture right now. And uh, we got talking about abortion and and we were both kind of thinking, you know, 
This is a real dividing line yeah. culturally. It's that University of Michigan story we talked about the Yesterday, other day, right? Right, right. Uh, where people just literally walked out of the white coat ceremony, mm-hmm. not because of what the person said, but because the person mm-hmm. who was going to be speaking not about abortion had yeah. said that they were anti-abortion. Yeah. And the people said, nope, can't listen to me. But it really does feel like, and I think the church needs to be ready for this, mm-hmm. really is a dividing line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and every now and then just crazy stuff is being said. And I want to play one. Uh, this was just the other day. This is Vice President Kamala Harris talking about uh, kind of the abortion debate and where she stands. Take a listen. To put it in law, there may be litigation, but we will be in a much better position than um, than to not do that. And, you know, listen, women are getting pregnant every day in America, and this is a real issue, and we need to act with a sense of haste about what is at play, what is at stake, and codifying Roe will be an important um, moment in terms of putting back in place protections for for the folks who are at risk right now because of what the court did in Dobbs just weeks ago. I want to highlight one part of that that I think gets at this people looking at this from such Mm. very different views. Yeah. She said women are getting pregnant every day. That's a real issue. Yes. So I sort of made eye contact with you across the studio table because I was like, wait, what? Exactly. Why is that an issue? And I think you're exactly right, Brian. That's sort of the key to why this is a debate for people, because for some of us, that's wonderful. That's amazing. That's mm-hmm. incredible. And even in the cases of an unwanted pregnancy, I was just with my baby niece who was born eight weeks early last week. Like she is a precious gift from God and children are a precious gift from God. Yes. But I, I would say then there's the other posture of like women don't women who don't want to be pregnant, women who are forced to be pregnant um, because of, you know, criminality, abuse, assault, et cetera. I can understand why there's so much pain there, but the end of the day to say women being pregnant every day is the issue. You're right, Brian, that that's really where the rubber meets. The yeah. Road. If, if you want to um, encapsulate, if you're trying to encapsulate, what's the different view here? There's one of the quotes you should use. Mm. Women are still getting pregnant every day. That's the real issue. Mm. And her point is, that's why we have to figure this out. But right. we want to be like, that's celebratory. Yeah. That's this. And, yeah. you know, we've said it over and over again. It comes down to what do you believe um, that woman is carrying? What do you believe about a baby and yeah. when this baby becomes a baby? Uh, but you might remember, oh, you weren't in. I, I had Steve with me last week and we were talking about Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is the coach of the University of Michigan. Okay. He got a ton of flack. He's a Catholic. Mm. For speaking at a right to life um, event in Michigan. Okay. Most people were like, well, he's Catholic. Like, right. that's what he's going to believe. But in reality, people, much like the, much like the doctor professor mm. at the University of Michigan as well, were up in arms that he would say, he was trying to, he used the phrase, have the courage to have the baby. Wow. So yesterday, Jim Harbaugh was doing an interview with uh, ESPN's Gene Wojciechowski, and it was mostly about football. But Gene Wojciechowski, as a reporter should do, uh, said, wanted to ask him about mm-hmm. it. Sure. And Aubrey, this is where I wanted to talk right here, because I believe what Jim Harbaugh said, even though he's being mocked for it, mm. is the heart of where we need to get to okay, here. Let's hear it. If the church can have this. So let me read it. Harbaugh said, let's discuss it. 
I've told the players on his team, he's basically saying, I've told them the same thing I tell my kids, boys, the girls, same thing I tell our players, our staff members. I encourage them that if they have a pregnancy that wasn't planned, to go through with it, go through with it. Let that unborn child be born. And if at that time you don't feel like you can care for it, you don't have the means or the wherewithal, then Sarah, who's his wife, and I will take that baby. Wow, that's amazing. Like, that is... um that is amazing, isn't it? Like, and mm-hmm. and people are mocking him online because that's what we do on Twitter. Right, people right. who are anti-abortion mm. or who are pro-abortion mm. uh, are kind of um, going at him here. But don't you think that's where the church needs to get to? Yeah, my uh, my mom and I were recently having a conversation about this kind of. We weren't talking about this particular issue with Jim Harbaugh, but we were saying it seems like the the topic of adoption needs to be risen up mm-hmm. by the church in this conversation, both celebrating adoptive parents, both uh, the church kind of leading the way in adoption, because um, t- this is my mom's quote, take it for what it's worth. But she said, ultimately, this is nine months of your life. Mm. And there's a lot of moms and dads who see that baby and at nine months decide, like, I cannot part with this precious mm-hmm. gift that mm-hmm. God has given me. They may change their mind or they say, I can't. I want to give this baby to a family. And if the church could provide those safe adoptive homes, I think that's where we can begin to move this conversation forward. Move away from the rhetoric and the debate. What's our action step? And it's something like what Jim Harbaugh is doing. I'm sorry he's been criticized for it. Yeah, and that's right. And maybe you can't take a kid in. Maybe you can't, but we can point people to places like Caring Network Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, Safe Families and other places where those people who will take in the babies, Mm -hmm. because it's not enough for us as Christians right now to stand up and just say, abortion, bad, it should all be done away with, and leave it there. Good point, Brian. We have to say, okay, but what what is the apparatus that now needs to be put up, and what role do we need to take in order to make this happen? It's the same, it's a little different, but the whole debate right now where people are like, Oh, well, then you better believe that the that the dad should start paying for stuff. Yes, I do uh, believe that. I do believe right. that. We all sign on for that. Yes. If we believe, though, that we want to see these babies born, then we've got to have the conversations that are mm. often difficult about what are we willing to do and support and set good. up around these moms yeah, good. so that either baby can be adopted or the mom can be supported or whatever else it might be. But. I guess we'll close it here. That's really hard. Like, that's putting your money where your mouth is. It's putting your money where your mouth is, which is always easier said than done. Let's be honest. But again, I think this is the beauty of the church. Can we do it in community? Mm -hmm. Can we do it with other people? Can a group of Christians wrap their uh, arms around a single mom, a single dad? I think that's the kind of thing where, like, I don't have to take it on individually. But with my church community, with my small group, we can do this together. That's right. Well. Uh, wanted you to hear that clip today and the, the abortion debate. I don't even know that it's a debate. The, the abortion, the abortion divide. divide. There you go. Is uh, alive and well. So we want to talk about that. I teased the story. Are you ready? <gasps> um, I am so ready. I've been waiting for this story. Brian. Here's the headline. Flashy Brooklyn Bishop Lamar Miller Whitehead defends lifestyle after $1 million jewelry heist. The flashy Brooklyn bishop, known for flaunting his Gucci suits, diamond-encrusted chains, and stable of luxury vehicles, says it's not his fault he was targeted in a $1 million jewelry heist. Bishop Lamar Whitehead, who's cozy with the New York mayor, 
uh, insisted on Instagram that his public displays of wealth didn't lead to Sunday's gunpoint robbery that was live streamed during the service. Was, Come on. You should got to go back and watch this. He's preaching. And all of a sudden, he falls to the ground, and no. you see people with masks on. No. He says it's not about being flashy, said okay. the Rolls-Royce driving clergyman. Got to love the New York Post. Wow. In a video shortly after three three thieves robbed him and his wife in the middle of the sermon. Mm. It's about me purchasing what I want to purchase. It's my prerogative to purchase oh. what I purchase. Okay. At the time of the robbery, are you ready? This sounds like you and Kevin. At the time of the robbery... Miller Whitehead and his wife were wearing more than $1 million in jewels and gold. The thieves made off with a treasure trove of items totaling $1.06 million. Included in that was a $75,000 Rolex watch, a $75,000 Cavalier watch, a $25,000 Episcopal ruby and diamond ring, a $25,000 Episcopal diamond ring, a $25,000 pair of earrings, a $20,000 diamond and emerald cross, a $20,000 ring, another cross, and another cross. Over $1 million. So let's start here. Uh, it was a scary story. I mean, you that's see terrifying. It. It Any gunman is. walking into a church in this day and age is just terrifying. Yep, and but they had clearly targeted him because he's very flashy. Everybody flashy. knows. And now it's kind of raised the question mm. about the appropriateness mm. of a, in this case, a bishop. Um, and he's part of a church. Uh, I'll look it up. But he, the appropriate nature of somebody of his position having this amount of stuff. So, all right, yeah. he's part of the Leaders of Tomorrow International Ministries okay. is the name of his church. Okay. But he's known for driving a Rolls Royce, yeah. having all this bling, yeah. having all this. And he's like, listen, what I do with my money doesn't matter. It's none of your business. Wow, okay. And then he got robbed in this and that. So yeah. let me throw that story on you. Wow. I found this story wow. fascinating. This is fascinating. What do you do with it? Well, okay, I think one, I'm, I'm just going to say this, it, we don't victim blame. And so it ultimately is not his fault that he got robbed. So I just want to be very clear about that. That's the robber's fault. That was the crime. That's on them. I feel a butt okay? coming. Done. Done and done. Okay. And not a butt. And also, <laughs> I, I think, especially for a pastor, ultimately, you actually do don't have the right to do whatever you want with your money because mm. guess what? It's not your money. Mm -hmm. It's the church's money. It's God's money. And now obviously his church is willing to pay him quite a um, quite a nice salary, I'm guessing. And I know that there are some church contexts where it is very important that their pastor, their bishop, etc., cetera, um, uh, appear, look, act wealthy, in fact, be wealthy because that's a sign of God's blessing in that context. Mm. And so I understand that some of this is contextual and it's not our context as like small church planters at all. So I, I want to be careful not to judge that. Simultaneously, I don't... You're just trying to tease the word but. <laughs> yeah. I, simultaneously, I do think it's problematic for a, for a mm -hmm. pastor, a man of God to... I think it's more to me the attitude. It's my money and I can do whatever I want. Well, no. You are accountable to the people that you lead. Mm -hmm. You are accountable, like I said before, to God. Mm. Because your salary comes from the people. Like, it, as a pastor, like... Your salary is tithed, and therefore that's God's money. Yeah. And I, you know, I can't judge if God's telling you to buy a $75,000 Rolex watch or not, 
But then to be flashy and arrogant about it, I think there is something really, really dangerous about that. So let's just talk about my, you and I are pastors. Yeah. Let's talk about my, this one. This story feels like a I bit of a caricature. Want, I also want a Rolls Royce. There so, you, you know, I'm going to say that too. Go this ahead. is a bit of a caricature, it, it, right? It's a little extreme. And it's yeah. perfect fodder for the New York tabloids to yeah. call him the flashy bishop right, right, and the right. this or that. Uh, how should pastors look at money? Uh, you and I are both pastors. And like you said, we're small church planters. So. Uh, neither you nor I uh, are, you know, um, getting rich on the pastorate. Right. But I would also say this. You and I have pastor friends who make a good amount of money. We do. That's true. Is there ever a time pastors make too much money or what should pastors' attitudes be towards Man. money? That might be a fairer question. Man, what should their attitude what should be? Their, what should our attitudes be as pastors towards money? Yeah, because I feel like I can't, I don't know when and how. In fact, later on in the show today, we're going to talk about how much should you pay your pastor. Mm. So this is a really good, a really right. good connection. There's an article at churchleaders.com talking about that. Some of it, I think, all we'll talk about this later, but... What should pastors make? I mean, I sort of feel like that depends on their context, right? Like it probably should be around the median of the people that you serve. Ultimately, mm. not a lot more, not a lot less. And I think if it's a lot more, that's when it begins like you're separating yourself from the people you're serving in such a way that you're like kind of hoarding and also lording some power over them financially. I think that's problematic. Mm. And I think biblically, we know that the love of money is the root of all evil. And this story, again, like you said, though, it's kind of a caricature. It reeks of the love of money. Not just having money, but loving it so much that you're being flashy and like braggy about it and arrogant about Mm. it. And so I think ultimately, if a pastor begins to one think it's my money i can do whatever i want you can't judge me Mm, to me that's a big red flag because there's no humility there and and again if we're not seeing our money as something we're stewarding because god has given it to us that's problematic Mm -hmm. i'm I'm looking at my own heart here though knowing how often i'm like man i wish our church paid us a lot more for sure you know so like both i i feel the greed too and i need jesus to redeem that in me I, I think that as pastors, one way to, though, to lose our credibility, I get what you're saying about context and stuff, and that's a helpful reminder. Yeah. But I do think one of the ways that we lose credibility is when we don't live out the, um, the things that we're called to teach about money, or more that's importantly, true. the things that Jesus taught about money, yeah. because those are really hard things. They are hard And things. they're not going to be easily embraced, even if we're modeling them mm-hmm. well. But certainly if the one teaching is not modeling it at all, mm-hmm. that's going to fall on deaf ears. And yeah. there's going to be, you know, the greed of the rich or the, the idol wars of the rich young ruler, right? Yeah, like it, we're, totally. we're more about money. And it also sends a message. We can't be we can't be frozen by all the messages we send. But at the same time, there's big pushes right now for people in the non-church world. We got to start taxing churches. We got to mm-hmm. start all they care about is money. And then you read certain stories and you're yeah. like, if I wasn't a church person who knew that 95% of the pastors out there, if you knew what they were making, right? believe me, they're not getting rich. Right. They're, they're, yep. they're barely making it month uh, to month. As somebody yeah. who's a pastor and a radio host, <laughs> right. uh, I can assure you of that. But the yeah. ones that get the headlines are the, the flashy bishop or yeah. the mega church yeah. pastor with this mansion right. and they're not right. they're, and they're not you know paying the same tax rates or whatever. And unfortunately that fall like you're saying that's both their downfall and it um it ruins the integrity of Christ. That's right. That's Ultimately right. it's Jesus's reputation at stake in these stories. Because there's a good point to make there. Jesus not rich. Yeah, was not rich when he right. walked the earth. Could have right. been, I'm sure. Yep. 
Uh, but not rich. No, I mean, you were in Oklahoma last week when it was like, what was it, 137 degrees every day? It was like, you stepped outside and you literally were like, I'm walking in pudding. Like, it, (laughs) or or jello. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it was so heavy and dense and hot pudding, hot soup. Like, it was just like thick. It was thick with heat. Even so much so we were on a lake. You'd get the lake and it was not refreshing because the lake itself had heated to almost 90 degrees itself. So you were like, I'm in a hot bath now. Yes, that sounds awful. I didn't hear much of what you said after hot pudding. Is that actually a thing? Gosh, I don't think that's I don't a thing. Think so, but it kind of sounds good, like a hot no, butterscotch pudding, like a war- like a warm butterscotch <laughs> pudding. Like a, you're like, I've never heard anybody say, you know what? It was so nasty outside. It was like me. I went outside. It was like hot pudding. It was raining down That's on how me. I felt. It felt like you're walking through hot pudding. And I feel like friends in Britain would appreciate that. That Nobody feels like would. a British thing. Hot pudding. Uh, okay. Uh, we're going like to let you. Pudding. We're going to let you. You go to England one day and just be like, is this what the hot pudding is like? And see what they do. See what they say. Maybe I've just invented something new. And you're going to regret you made fun of me when I'm on Shark Tank. And they're <laughs> making, Hello. making a million dollars. What is your What is your invention? Sticking pudding in a microwave, stirring it up, spooning it over to my little kids over there. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Uh, so, good times here at uh, the Common Good. Earlier in the show, we were talking about um, that pastor who we we're talking about money, right? And with the conversation about money comes a conversation about contentment. Mm. And the Bible has a lot about to say, right? Be content with what you have. Um, be content more by who you are in Christ than the, yeah. the things that you have. Scott Sauls over at scottsauls.com. He's awesome. Great pastor. Just out with a new book called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Hmm. Uh, he writes at scottsauls.com. He's great on Twitter. We've had him on the show before. Uh, he's down in Tennessee. And he just wrote a blog post about uh, learning the secret of being content. But he's not talking about financial contentment. Okay. He's talking about when your life is just crumbling around you, when life is just crashing. And he opens up. He is one of the most honest pastors I know or or have read where he talks about his own insomnia, his own depression, his own anxiety. about being vulnerable in those ways. He's got a a thriving, he's got Mm -hmm. a big church. He's Mm -hmm. got a thriving ministry. He's writing. He's this and that. And yet he talks about anxiety, crippling anxiety and insomnia and depression and all of this stuff. And so he wants to ask, how do we learn to be content when life is really hard. Mm, so before wow. we get into what Scott talks about, uh, let me ask you kind of a two-part question, Aubrey. Yeah. Um, why is that important? Mm. Why is that really important for all of us to think about? Mm. And then how would you answer the question? Um, wow. These are, this is a hard topic. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, contentment when it's painful, mm-hmm. right? When life around you is painful. Um, uh, the first question you asked was, why is it important? Um, yeah, why should we even think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is because, and I'm just going to be practical here. Otherwise, the the pain of life and the suffering that your loved ones or you might go through will seek to destroy you. And mm. I mean that. Like, you will not be able to face each day you will not want to get out of bed. You will not enjoy the good things around you because, I mean, we have to be honest, like life is rough. Yes. Like, I mean, you and I, I know Brian and all of our listeners as well know a lot of people are walking with a lot of people who are carrying some really heavy burdens right now. And 
if you can't learn contentment in the midst of that, then really like it's going to be impossible to press on and keep going. Right. I I mean, so I just want to be really practical about that, I guess. And then when you asked how there's a Psalm and unfortunately I can't remember which Psalm it is, but David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Mm. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel trust in the Lord both now and forevermore. And that's what I think of when I think of contentment, a child who has been weaned, meaning what David's talking about is a child who has been fed and is satisfied, like nursed and is now done nursing. And so is no longer Mm. fussy crying, but is being held in his mom's arms, in her mom's arms, full, content, satisfied. And what David implies is that we do that by trusting in the Lord both now and forevermore. Mm. And so whatever it takes to surrender your discontentment to the Lord and express trust in him, that's, I think, ultimately the key to contentment. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I would go back to what, something you said about why is this an important conversation to have? Because Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Mm. So right now, you might be listening going, doesn't apply to me. Yeah. Life is rolling. Bank account's good. Yep. Kind of annoying with gas prices, but everything else is good. <laughs> I would tell you then just hold on and it's coming. Like it's right. coming. Right. Uh, it might be in a month, might be in a year, might be in a decade, but mm-hmm. it's coming and you need to be prepared for it. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, let me read to you what Scott Saul says. Would love to hear that. Whatever regret, hurt or fear you may have faced or are now facing. I hope that the Lord's perspective on such things will help you avoid wormholes like cynicism and despair. And instead to discover, as the Apostle Paul did, even from a hot, filthy prison cell, what he famously called the secret of being content. The secret, he tells us, is something that he had to learn in the same way that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Paul's secret did not come home to him naturally, but supernaturally. When it did, he found contentment and even joy in times of plenty and in times of want, Mm. in times of gain and in times of loss, in times of happiness and in times of hurt. I can do all things, Paul wrote, through Christ who strengthens me. And then he ends, I want you to know Christ as Paul did. And as I'm learning to know him also, I pray that the secret of being content in times of want, loss, and other things that hurt will become less of a secret and more of a familiar friend for you, just as it become for me through the years. Wow. Beautiful. What what stands out to you from Man, what Scott And One, Scott Sauls is just a really great writer. That's That's, right. that's ultimately what I'm thinking. But I, I appreciate his reminder to us that Paul found contentment in plenty and in need, in mm. gain and in loss, in happiness and in hurt. Because I do think that... In one sense, the flip side can be true. Like when everything is going for us, we might experience some discontentment mm-hmm. then as well. And that's, oh, that's a bizarre paradox. I don't totally understand. That's something about the human heart, I think, being dece- deceived, deceived and not being satisfied apart from Christ. But so to to remember Paul's call, which is ultimately the biblical call to be content no matter, no matter what, what the circumstance is. We do that through Christ who gives us strength. And so I think that's the other beautiful thing is that this call to contentment is not something that we muscle up ourselves, right? But that we ask the Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit, we ask for the presence of God to give us what we need to experience contentment no matter what life is throwing at us. And I think another way that we do that is through an understanding of um that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, mm, and forever. Good, Brian. So whether things are really good or really bad, yeah. it's not like, 
oh, Jesus was really into me right up when things were good. Like, he was just blessing me, uh, and he was this. Uh-oh, yeah. things are bad. He must be gone. He, I must He's have mad angered at me. Him. Something has happened. He's given up. He's forgotten about oh, me. Like, man. once you add that on to things, mm-hmm. that's a really dangerous place to be. But to, to know that he is the rock upon which we can build our lives, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever I don't you feel like that? I feel like that's a real key to know being able to weather the storms of life. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I feel like a little bit convicted when I hear you say that because I do tend to be someone, and I don't know if it's family of origin. I'm sure a psychologist could tell me why, <laughs> but there are seasons where I'm like, God, why aren't you blessing me? Are you mad at me? Have I done something wrong? God, why aren't you? And maybe those are the very moments when God is saying, no, no, no. I'm, you know, old church would call it like, uh, uh, consolation and desolation, right? Mm. Like maybe in seasons of desolation, I'm inviting you to find contentment in me. Maybe when it feels like I'm far away, I'm inviting you to experience contentment. Like, I, you know, it's interesting to think about those seasons as invitations to grow in our trust and not as God abandoning Yeah, us. absolutely. And so if you're going through it out there right now, and like I said, we we know a lot of people who are. Yeah, we do. It's a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. Just globally right pandemic inflation all of this stuff but then you add on top of it wars but then the personal hurts cancer and fractured relationships and what a job loss whatever else it might be you could really be discontent and think where's god in all of this Mm -hmm. where is he and i guess i want us all to remember he's near to the brokenhearted jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and that's kind of what Saul's is talking about and what paul says is the secret of contentment. And, mm. and you got to fight. Here's the last thing I'll tell you. Fight for contentment. That's so true, Brian. Yeah, you got to yeah. fight for it. Yeah. You got to you got to fight for it. And yeah. um, don't see your own prosperity and easy times or whatever as God's kind of smiling upon you. But mm-hmm. then, you know, when things are going hard that he's mad. Yeah. Like that's a real that's right. difficult, dangerous game to play. You and I started something a couple months ago. You reminded me. We called it the Common Good Songbook. And it's this. What is a song that either has or is currently having kind of a a kind of a deeper meaning yeah. to you? It, 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 connecting with you. Connecting with mm-hmm. you. And sometimes I've we've done this before and I shared an old hymn. Yes. That every time I hear it. But then today I'm going to share something that is completely secular, completely but yeah. hit me at a specific time oh, of life. Can't wait to hear this. Yeah. And and there's I think we do this. Speak to this for a second. Music plays this kind of role in it. You know, neither you or I are musicians. Right. Neither one of us. I'm not are a, I don't do well carrying a beat, any yeah. of this kind of stuff. But even to people like us, music plays an important role. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is like any art has enough power to reach and reach into your emotions and like speak to you right and sometimes it's just naming things that you didn't really know you were feeling helping you express things you want to express helping you like grieve things you need to grieve helping you be inspired by something and i would say music especially i'm not you know musicians it'd be interesting to like learn like the philosophy of music but there is certainly something powerful about just like the the well-timed song it hits your life at the right time and just speaks to you in a way and then lasts that's the other thing the power that the staying power of music is another thing that's fascinating i like the way you put that because that kind of describes the song that i chose so here's the way we do this aubrey and i both choose a song yep and and kind of share why sometimes it's just like hey that brings me back the other day i heard a song my my daughter it was really funny my youngest daughter was playing it and someone had remade it, 
Oh. And I was like, what's that song? And all of a sudden I realized it was the old Shania Twain song, You're Still the One. <laughs> no. Which was like Carrie and I's song oh, when we first it. started dating. And oh, I was that's like, so cute. And my daughter was like, what are you talking about? This is Ben Rector right, or someone. Right. And I was like, no, it's not. Nah, it's this, not. <laughs> this is Shania Twain. <laughs> all right. So. You're not going to expect the person that I'm going to choose for mine here. Yeah. Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne. Wow, okay. this is shocking. And I let me give you some background. Okay. There was a couple, I was a big Avril Lavigne fan I'm sure for a you while were. there. A couple yeah. months ago, maybe six months ago, mm-hmm. there was just we were coming out of COVID, trying to figure out churches, yeah. just going through stuff, right? Yeah. Nothing crazy, but it felt like like things were, for lack of a better word, just the pressure was building. Mm-hmm. God, I don't know what's next. Like, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to be doing? It was like that season yeah. of life, yeah. okay? Trying to figure things out. And I don't just listen to the radio, and I'm like, oh, feel overwhelmed, feel whatever. Avril, I didn't even know it was Avril Lavigne. I heard this song, and I was like, I need to look this <gasps> up. And now every time I hear this song, it inspires me, and it keeps me. It's oh. called, I don't know if you remember this song. It's called Head Above Water. I don't know if I remember it. But listen, this is Avril Lavigne. Listen to some of these lyrics. Okay, let's hear. I got to keep the calm before the storm. I don't want less. I don't want more. Must bar the windows and the doors to keep me safe from harm. So talk about all the harm. And then here it goes. God, keep my head above water. Don't let me drown. It gets harder. I'll meet you there at the altar. As I fall down to my knees, don't let me drown, drown, drown. And she keeps saying, don't let me drown. Wow. Then there's more. And then again, God, keep. And I remember hearing this being like, am I listening to K-Love? And right. I remember... At the exact like, moment, at the exact moment that I needed to pray, God, don't let me drown. Mm. God, like in this exact yeah. moment, yeah. I need you to get. It's yeah. Avril Lavigne yeah. of all people singing. God, keep my head oh, above water, so and I was good. like, I gotta listen to that. Okay, I mean, and that's so why I put it on my Spotify playlist. Nice. And every time it comes on, I feel like, yes, this is. Here's what I'm thinking. This is my prayer. Avril Lavigne's song of all people mm. feels like a prayer to oh, me. I love that. And yeah. you're like, okay, love yes, that. I need to pray. Uh, she Another lyric she has here, I can't see in the stormy weather. I can't mm. keep it all together. I can't swim the ocean like this forever. I can't breathe. God, mm. keep my head above water. That is a prayer. It's amazing. It really is. Wow. And then I was like, Avril Lavigne. Do you want to know a little, uh, little tidbit about Avril Lavigne? I do. She just signed a new contract with uh, uh, the drummer from Blink-182. He's married to the Kardashian, uh, Travis Barker. Yes. He's got a new label, and he signed her. There you so go. So she's coming out with some new music soon. So hopefully, hopefully it'll be that inspiring. it is inspiring. So that was a weird that. one that I found. I remember being like, okay, I love God, that. God, you speak in mysterious That's ways. Right. There you go. All right. What about you? Okay. So mine is also uh, from pop culture. And uh, Brian, you just mentioned this musician. I don't even know if that was like subconscious or telekinetic, but it's a Ben Rector song. So, okay. Nice. Here's, here's what's funny about Ben Rector. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a Ben Rector shirt recently, gave it to Kevin to give to me. And I did not know what it was. And I thought, oh, this is a cute shirt. I've been wearing it around town. I've taken selfies in it. Well, uh, on it was either Spotify or Amazon Music. Ben Rector's album came up and it was like the same image that's on the shirt that I've been wearing. And I'm like, oh, I've been wearing Ben Rector shirts around town. I didn't know. I should find out more about Ben Rector's music. And you that's know, what they call marketing. That, yeah, it worked really, really well, apparently. So Ben Rector, you know, he's got a really popular song right now called Living Ima- My Best Life. Yes, yes, yes. And There's another one called Imagine, I think. Was, I, yeah. Maybe, yeah. It, probably. But what I love about Ben Rector, and I'll read you very quickly some lyrics to another song in a minute, but is he's kind of doing the opposite of what a lot of musicians are doing. Like he's really like um, 
lifting up being a family man, mm. growing mature, staying on the straight and narrow. Like it, even living my best life is kind of about like I'm living my best life while I'm at home being a dad. Like it's not on the road anymore. Yeah. It's really it's interesting. He's doing the opposite of what a lot of musicians are doing. So this is a song called Steady Love that happened to be on when I was driving into the studio this afternoon. And it's kind of that same concept. But here's how here's how it goes. Just some of the lyrics. You can't stay young forever, which, again, this is the opposite of the message we get. You can't stay young forever. You can't keep from growing up. But when your heart gets tired of living on the run, my God, you should find some steady love. You should find some steady love. And the whole song really is about how, like, so many of us strive to stay young. We strive um, to not become our parents. We strive to, like, be on the run and live free and... And ultimately, what he's saying is like none of that stuff matters. Mm. What matters is finding a steady love. And I think ultimately, you could make that could be your spouse, that could be your kids, that could be the Lord. Yeah. But it's such a I I was so touched by this song. It's a beautiful song too. Just the way he sings it is lovely. But th- I do think that's a tension in all of us is wanting to like be who we were back in the day yes. and live our glory well, uh, days. Yeah, the glory yeah. days. And yeah. he's like, well, what if the glory days are something else? What if they're like this faithful life with someone? That's I awesome. It's so beautiful. We have a social media water que- uh, cooler question up for the week on our social media as well. Here's what we want to know. We read a story about a couple who um, was uh, getting married and apparently the bride loves pizza, is obsessed with pizza, <laughs> Her uh, husband-to-be, groom-to-be, made her sign a contract that they would only eat pizza in their marriage once a month. So we want to know, what kind of marriage contract do you need or do you wish you had? And make it funny. Like, think lightly Mm -hmm. here. Maybe don't go a little too dark or too serious. Or some funny marriage contracts. Like, does your spouse need to put the toilet paper on the right side do they need to put the toothpaste <laughs> lid on oh, like those things you are speaking, you are speaking too close <laughs> to get a little get a little too <laughs> targeted <hot> there <laughs> <laughs> triggering some things here we want to hear from you that's at common good talk on uh, facebook instagram and twitter uh, um somebody on twitter asked this question and i thought it was an interesting one the conversation itself was interesting but i thought it'd be fun one for you and i to discuss brian she asked this her name is angela acres why why would younger you be proud of who you are today? Hmm. And I thought it was interesting because normally you hear these questions and it would be like, would younger you be proud of you today? She kind of cuts that out and she says, no, why would younger you be proud of who you are today? Hmm. Um, and here's some of the responses. Then I want to know what you think, Brian. Uh, somebody said younger me would be terrified of me today. And honestly, I see that as an improvement. But honestly, they would be proud, younger uh, would be proud of this person, that even though we're still rocking the boat, we figured out how to stand up straight without getting too seasick. Um, somebody else said, there are not many versions of my current self or recent past selves in my 20s, 30s, or 40s that my younger self ever imagined would be true. I completely underestimated how difficult finding a job would be, how difficult it would be to achieve success. Um Other people say, uh, this is kind of a funny answer, slightly disappointed at how much I sit in chairs rather than on the floor, (laughs) but otherwise absolutely in awe of me. Somebody else said, look, I'm sober. I have no toxic relations. I am honoring my true self. Uh, So younger me would be proud of those things. Another person said, I've learned to be somewhat confident. 
I'm humbly facing myself. I'm hearing and adjusting my behavior to critique. I've let go of so much fear in favor of loving deeper and stronger. I'm chasing what I need to do, facing what I need to do. I love myself more each day. Okay, so Brian, why would younger you be proud of who you are today? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question Mm -hmm. to think about because, you know, when you look back to your younger self, you have to ask yourself, like, what were my dreams? Mm-hmm. Like, what was I hoping to? Like, yeah. younger me might be, depending on how young we are, younger me might be disappointed in me that I'm not the starting shortstop for oh, the Mets. You yeah, know what I mean? right. Totally. But you're like, well, that was never a possibility. Yeah. But, you know, younger you has these unbelievable dreams. But yep. I would like to think of younger me, but a little older, right? Okay. Like high school high or whatever. School. I think uh, I think a couple things come to mind for me. And it is kind of a sobering thing to think about. It is interesting. I think younger me would be surprised that I don't live on the East Coast anymore, right? Because I think okay. I always thought I'd live in New Jersey and okay. be that. Uh, but life circumstances took me uh, out to here. But I think younger self, I, I would think, would be most proud by the family that I have. Yeah. I think would, if I could have gone in a time machine when I was in high school and look forward to now, I'd be like, your life is pretty cool because of your wife and your kids like mm. that that's that's a life that is like i'm happy that i'm you know younger self is like yeah. you're thinking back to the future here right like <laughs> uh, or the, the other way but right, you know i'm kind right. of going towards that so that's the one that comes to mind yeah. for me i think younger self would be like oh you're still kind of the same person like i think and then younger me if came up would be mesmerized by um by the technology around I myself mean, that's kind of crazy well you can I'm see proud- people on the I'm proud that you know how to use yeah, these things. Totally, so, totally. Uh, what, what would your, uh, what would younger Aubrey be uh, proud of or surprised by? Yeah, I, I think you know one of the things, even as a high schooler, and you know, I'm. Why do I feel a little embarrassed to say this? I'm not sure, but I always prayed that I would find a man who loved Jesus first and loved me second. And I feel like I would be pleasantly surprised that I found that in Kevin, Mm. you know, and I do think I would be also pleasantly surprised about our three amazing sons. I also know that younger me always wanted to be a writer. Now, I imagined myself kind of like you in the Mets, like I imagined myself as like a best selling, you know, writing fiction books that are changing the world. But I still think younger me would be pleasantly surprised like, hey. She's authored three books and has go. a couple more on the way. Yeah, That's yeah. Like pretty impressive, you know? So I do think that there are, it's interesting to, to, to think about that. Like, I do think younger Aubrey would be pretty pleased with how her life mm-hmm, turned out. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think that's helpful for adult Aubrey to consider. I think that's what's fascinating yeah, about this conversation. Because sometimes I can get stuck in, as an adult, Oh, goals I haven't met yet. Things I haven't achieved yep. yet. Why has this person done that and I haven't done that? Like you can lose some perspective on your own life and yep. on the good things that God has done. But there are things to be proud of. Yeah, but when yeah. you kind of look back and go, but what would what would my teenage self think about me now? You know, it gives you a little bit of like a good perspective, I think. Yes, yes. I, I think that what makes this a helpful conversation is we don't do well generally speaking, looking at our own lives going, you know what? I am doing well. Yeah, it's so true. We don't. Am I perfect? No. Right. Have I, have I gotten all my dreams to come true? No. Right. But we often are so, when we look at our own lives can be so negative that we go, you know what? I should be proud of the family that I have, or I should be proud about the person that I am. I can be proud about 
you know, the neighbor that whatever you, yes. you choose it. And instead, a lot of us out there are just like, woe is me. I'm a terrible person. I didn't meet this dream or this dream or this goal mm-hmm. or this goal. Mm. And we just got to pile that on ourselves. Yeah, and I so just true. don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's how our Heavenly Father looks at mm. us. Oh, that's so, that's so good, Brian. Okay, let's let's move this forward a little bit. So let's say you and I were doing the radio show for another 40 years. Okay, <laughs> we're in our 80s. We're hobbling Welcome in here. Welcome to the common good. We're dancing. Yes. Uh, we're still dancing the same music. Our executive producer, Keith Conrad's over there pushing buttons still. Barely pushing. 40 years on. from now. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, and we're looking back on us in our 40s. So us now. Okay. What will have made us proud? About who we are yes. or who we are currently? Who we become. Um. I think by that point, finishing the race strong. Yeah. Like I'm still totally. in a church doing ministry. And probably, you know, hopefully at that point, not doing it as a job, right. but like still engaged in yeah. ministry. Yeah. I'm a good grandparent mm-hmm. uh, and still continue to be a good husband and parent. Like mm-hmm. by 80, I want my wife to still love me yes. and I want her to enjoy being with yes. me. So again, it's a lot of family stuff. It's a lot yeah. of um, of those kind of things as opposed to. You know, I'm I would accomplished that right. I hope to accomplish some right. things, but I don't think at 80 I'm going to look back over my next 35, 40 years go and look at all my accomplishments. I think I'm going to look at it and go look at my family. I think you are, too. And I, I mean, I'm saying that I think I am, too. Like what comes to mind for me is like, I hope I have a family where like my my son's future wives like we're all together and we love each other yeah. and you know the grandkids are and even great grandkids are like all together and i think you know you and i talk a lot about these kind of end of life things yes. that we want to have accomplished and i feel like what we always circle back to is it's never achievement oriented it's never flash it's never i mean certainly i hope i like have a vacation home at disney at you some always, point remember right the one time we had a discussion about your multiple vacation yes, homes at yeah that point. we gotta at least like throw that out there but but if i'm being serious what i really want is that i've lived a faithful life yes. and seen the fruit of it mm, and that's i good. you know and i think ultimately like that kind of tells us what matters yeah I'll be also very proud of the fact that somehow we stayed on the air for 40 years. I mean, that's an impressive impressive radio show right there. I mean, uh, is radio even going to exist in 35 years? It'll be the virtual versions of Brian and Aubrey. They'll just get a chip that they put in. (laughs) (laughs) An implanted chip that we speak to each day. I like it. I think the takeaway here is family, 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 relationship with Jesus, serving others, the things we know about, I think are actually the things that we will feel the best about. Yeah, I think that's right. And then also maybe take the time if you're feeling discontent in your life, feeling like you're missing the mark, feeling like you aren't doing all the things you thought you would, maybe consider the your inner teenager or your inner little kid and think about the things that would make them proud about you now and name those things and thank God for those things and allow that to give you some much needed perspective. We are thrilled to be joined by a partner, a friend, the pastor, Alan Jackson. Alan Jackson Ministries can be heard weekday, 6 a.m. on WYLL. We're here to talk about his new book and ministry and all kinds of things. So, Pastor Jackson, thanks so much for being here with us today. Well, it's a delight to be with you, Aubrey, again, you and Brian. Thank you. Well, we love having you. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your ministry yet, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. I serve a congregation that is in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And I have been here at the same congregation for 40 years. We started with about 30 people in a tent. 
And now we have a few more people. But that's awesome. The Lord has been good to us. So they don't laugh at my jokes anymore. They've heard them all. So (laughs) (laughs) that's real. Delighted to get to talk to some people who think I have fresh material. There you go. There you go. Alan, that's fascinating to me. Before we jump into the book, uh, Aubrey and I are both pastors. I've been at a church for like 12 years and it feels like forever, right? Like 40 (laughs) years. We always hear about pastors moving and moving and moving and moving. Tell us about uh, why you've stayed for so long and maybe Mm. some of the keys to your longevity at the same Mm. place. Great question. Yeah. Well, you know, they make Jack Daniels in Tennessee. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you know, the my spiritual formation did not take place inside the church. Hmm. I became a Christian in somebody's home. I was baptized in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, I really didn't value church. So when I felt God inviting me into ministry, I, I was kind of confused by that. So pastoring to me was not about a profession. What I had was a conviction that God would change the lives of people that would trust Him. And so it's really been an initiative to invite people towards the Lord. I had to learn how to do church and the things that were necessary for that to happen. And I think God's just been gracious with me. And we started out caring for people and helping people. You know, in my imagination, the church is not a hall of fame. It's not where we come to puff out our chest and talk about how righteous we are. It's much more a triage unit where we limp into the building and admit that we need help. And it doesn't mean we're soft on sin. I still believe in all 10 of the commandments, mm-hmm. but um, it's been a place. And God just continues to help people if we will serve them. So it's really a story about his grace and mercy. That's oh, awesome. Love that. Thank you so much for that. What a, what a wonderful word. Well, we're excited to talk to you about your new book. It's coming out August 16th. You can pre-order it now called Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Um, Alan, just tell us about the book. Why did you decide to write this? Well, because I got surprised, you know, we live in Tennessee and we have about two inches of snow every other year. (laughs) And when they do, they close the state. They show Mm. us pictures of Chicago in the wintertime and we close our schools. (laughs) (laughs) So I had this rather arrogant attitude where I would say, you know, we will never close the building. If if we have a foot of snow, we will be here for church. And in my mind, I thought, and if a tornado hits the building, I'll stand in the bed of a pickup truck and we will have church. Yeah. Mm. until that Sunday when the phone call came and said we couldn't be in the building. Yeah. Mm. And I have a photograph on Easter Sunday of me standing in a completely empty room, and I was still so slow. I was still in my suit and tie <laughs> looking at a red light at the back of the room as if the people sitting at home on their sofa in their pajamas cared what I was, uni- if I was in uniform. Mm. And it was a wake-up call for me that I had been very much enmeshed in comfort and convenience and the imagination that our lives could not be disrupted until they were. And from that day until this, it seems like to me there's been just an ongoing cycle of turmoil and confusion and deception and mm. propaganda. And I mean, it's mm. unthinkable what we have watched. Mm. And I, in it, I think there's a tremendous gift for the church. It's as if God has awakened us from a state of slumber to where we could begin to prepare to be fruitful in this season in a way that we were not prepared to be before. So it isn't so much that it's frightening to me. I'm not wringing my hands. I'm almost I'm excited like a child that's headed to something that they've anticipated. I think there's a time for a fruitfulness from the church and an effectiveness from God's people that we have not seen in our lifetimes. It's great. Mm, such an encouraging uh, picture to paint. Mm-hmm. Um, let's dive into that. What does that fruit look like in your mind, Alan? What What is the fruit that you're anticipating coming in and through the church in the coming years? 
Well, I think it's, it's like a good diagnosis at the doctor. Oftentimes you, you go because something you don't feel well. And the reality mm. is the church was not well. We weren't healthy. Mm. We have watched the most precipitous decline of Christian influence, perhaps in the history of the Christian church. Hmm. I mean, our participation rates were declining, you know, for all of our key indicators. We were spending more time talking about how to make friends with the world than we were encouraging Christ followers to pursue holiness and purity and godliness. Hmm. And it's like God has shaken us awake and said, I haven't changed my standards. So the, the first acknowledgement is we weren't where we might have been. Hmm. Now, we're not the first generation to wander off the path. The Bible is filled with that story. And so is the history of the church. And God in His grace and mercy is inviting us back. So I think it's about coming back to the fundamentals. We actually need to spend more time with our Bible than we do our television. Wow. We're going to have to spend more time in prayer than we do at the ball fields with our kids. Hmm. You know, we want a politician to come save us. We hmm. think the election is going to make us all better. We think a new yeah. law will make us safe again. And I don't believe that's true. I don't think our problem is rooted in the depravity of the wicked. I think our problem is really rooted in the indifference of the faithful. Hmm. And if we can be awakened to God in a new way and imagine that only He can secure our future and the future for our children or our grandchildren, then I believe we'll see Him move. If we just stamp hmm. our feet and say, we want to go back to the world we had pre-2020, <laughs> I think we're going to forfeit something significant. Hmm. Hmm. It's, it's such good points. Pastor Jackson, let, let me ask you another question for our listeners out there who are, you know, maybe still dealing with the the fear, the anxiety, uh, some of the things you named because of 2020. Uh, Pastor Shepherd, our listeners for just a minute, what's a, what's a word of encouragement or comfort you have for them, you know, from the book and from your own experience? Well, I think fear is real and I, we sh I don't want to deny it or encourage anyone else to. I think fear is an acknowledgement. When I'm afraid, and in fact, I, I, fear is not really the enemy in that sense. You can do courageous things while you're battling fear. Mm. What I think fear indicates is a deficiency in trust. And where I find fear in my life, I recognize that there's an opportunity to build greater trust in the Lord. Mm. And so as I have recognized the fear that has come with the fear of a virus that could kill millions of us, or the fear that comes that we don't know who to trust for information any longer. Or the fear that comes from a justice to system that seems weighted in unusual ways. Or yeah. fear of the violence in our streets. And I think, well, Lord, I'm going to have to trust you in some places where, honestly, I haven't even invited you in. Mm. And it, it, it's a very profound shift. It, it isn't dramatic from the outside, but inwardly it is really dramatic. Lord, forgive me for imagining I could secure my future because I thought the dollar was strong enough. And Wall Street was re reliable enough. Wow, mm. wow. And God, I'm sorry. Only you can secure my future. And I believe God is inviting us into this new place. It doesn't mean we won't enjoy the things in our world that have been around us, but we're going to realign our trust to diminish fear. I like to think about fear as a person without a body. Hmm. And when I find myself afraid, I'll speak to that person. You're not welcome here. Hmm. I didn't invite That's you great. here, and I'm certainly That's not great. giving you a ticket to stay, and I'm absolutely not serving you dessert. You go, in Jesus' name. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. And the Lord, good. help me to see where I need to trust you more completely. And He will. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. That's a wonderful word. Let me encourage everybody out there, go get uh, the book. It's coming out August 16th, but you can pre-order. It is called Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. The author is Alan Jackson. You can also listen to Alan Jackson Ministries, which airs weekdays here 
on AM 1160 at 6 a.m. And Alan, before we let you go, where else can people find you? Maybe social media, maybe blogs, other books. If people want to connect with you, where can they connect with you? Yeah, probably the simplest way is just to go to alanjackson.com and it lists all of the social media platforms and the way to access it. And there's an archive of messages out there and other materials. So just go to alanjackson.com. You can even pre-order the book there. That's perfect. Alan, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Aubrey and Brian. I appreciate what you're doing. We pray for Chicago. Amen. We'll take it. We need it. (laughs) We all need it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Listeners, we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.